Hey, what's up, tribe? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the TFC Audio Project Down Under. This week's episode is all about ground living. We delve into how moving and sitting on the ground can improve your mobility, the concept of grounding or earthing and how it can affect your health and well-being, as well as some common barriers to getting on the ground and some simple mindsets and strategies to overcome them. This week's episode is brought to you by the TFC shop here in Australia. We're always looking for new products we can bring to our community that'll help them live the barefoot life that we're all about. We're currently working on developing a ground living table, just like the ones our pals from TFC Canada sent over to us. If you've seen some of our podcast snippets on Instagram, you'd probably know what we're talking about. They're our favorite piece of furniture in the apartment, and we can't wait to bring them to our Aussie customers through tfc-shopaus.com. All right, so you're back with James and Mac, and this episode is going to be all about the ground. So we've talked a fair bit about the importance of sitting and moving on the ground in some previous episodes, especially the ones on movement nutrition and natural movement. And so today we pretty much just wanted to delve a little deeper into the how and the why behind that. And also just want to chat through some of the major barriers that people have to getting on the ground and, and, you know, ground living in general and some ways to get around those because people do seem to have some barriers. Definitely. Yeah. 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 I think, um, I've noticed even in myself and, and both of us, the transition from chairs to the ground, uh, I don't know if there was a, any pushback initially, but it's a bit of a weird concept, I suppose, for people to, yeah, to adopt. It was, yeah. it was odd for me. You kind of have to wrap your head around it, but then the good thing is once it's explained and once once you sort of understand the why, it's like, oh, that actually, that makes a like lot of sense. So many of the concepts we <laughs> yeah. break down, there's a tipping point where you go, oh yeah, right, that makes I get sense. It. Yeah. And then once you start doing it, it's like, oh, it also feels good. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it, And it's, you know, it's not like once you understand the why, you immediately get rid of all your furniture and you know completely I mean you can do that but it's about yeah really understanding the why and then figuring out what steps make sense for you to take um, and build towards that sort of full ground living so exactly and I mean people will see in some of our snippets but it may look like we've got no furniture in the house we still <laughs> yeah do have some furniture and, and I mean we'll go into how we've transitioned a little later I'm sure but uh, yeah yeah exactly so I'd say the biggest why when it comes to ground living is mobility. Now, mobility is a, a, quite a buzzword in the health and fitness industry at the moment. And, they, you know, there's all these debates that go on about the difference between mobility and flexibility and what it really is. But for the purposes of this podcast, uh, we'll just talk, you know, we'll get a, a bit of a working definition of mobility uh, and how we see it and how that applies to ground living. So... I mean, the dictionary definition of mobility is just the ability to move or to be moved freely and easily. And so when we apply that to the body, there's a couple of ways of looking at it. And there's the sort of joint by joint, by joint mobility, which is literally just how far can a certain joint, so how far can your shoulder joint, for example, move throughout its range of motion uh, without sort of other areas of the body compensating. So the shoulder can flex and extend and abduct and adduct and rotate. And what we know in the body is if one joints, say if the shoulder is restricted into flexion, then the upper back, for instance, can then extend, uh, can extend a little bit to allow more shoulder flexion. So the body's a really good compensator, but if we look at say joint by joint mobility, then it's, does your shoulder have full range of motion, full shoulder range of motion, say into flexion, 180, degree, 180 degrees or not? So can your shoulder move all the way without um, the, your upper back moving to compensate? And that's sort of the premise of these, these um, movement uh, systems like uh, FRC, functional range conditioning, things like that is restoring optimal or you know, normal or natural joint mobility to an area so that you know the whole can move better through through each individual part moving better. Yeah. yeah. So you know it's it's a helpful concept and it makes a lot of sense. 
again, there's again a debate about whether that's flexibility or mobility, and <laughs> I won't really go into that too much today. Uh, it's an interesting debate, but maybe one for another podcast. Um, but if we then look at, I guess, the more true definition of mobility, and this is essentially what we learn and focus more on in, in physio, I suppose, and especially something that I experienced with uh, working in aged care and, and everything is mobility is really your functional capability. Like your mobility status, say in aged care, we mm. have some, we have to assess someone's mobility status and that's basically, can they sit to stand, can they stand up out of a chair or not? And can they, do they do that independently by themselves or do they need a walking stick or do they need a four-wheel walker or do they need a nurse or an assistant to help them do that? And it's it's basically their mobility statuses. And that seems like a pretty baseline. <coughs> I've heard you talk, you know, across hospitals and, and, and people who've, who've had serious injuries. That's sort of the baseline they try to get them to is, is to be able to... Yeah, independence. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and so if someone someone's mobility status is compromised because of weakness or, you know, some kind of neurological condition or something like that. It's, it's all, all of these interventions are aimed at optimizing their independence and their mobility status. So using technology like a walker or, you know, walking frame or a four-wheelie walker or something like that to maintain as much independence as possible and maintain as much mobility. Sure. Um, And, you know, if someone can't walk at all or can't sit stand at all, then maintaining mobility through a wheelchair or something like that. So being able to move through the environment effectively. And so that really is an emergence of a number of different factors. So your mobility status is a result of how much strength do you have? How much flexibility do you have? You know, flexibility or joint by joint mobility, however you want to think about it. Um, you know, your balance, your coordination. So if your balance is really poor, then your mobility is not going to be great because as soon as you get up, you can fall and fall back down. Or if your strength is really poor, then you, you know, you go to try and stand up, but you can't get there. So you need to use your arms or you need someone else to help you. So your mobility and you know that's the very baseline of mobility but that mobility functional capability extends through you know walking running jumping climbing throwing like whatever it is that you want to be able to do or that you know your body should quote unquote should be able to do yeah that's related to your mobility status sure and so we are land animals so naturally moving on the ground is essentially what we need to master in order to survive in a natural environment, like we've talked about in the past. And so mobility starts from as soon as you're out of the womb, basically, as soon as you're born, then obviously you're quite, um, you're quite, um, limited, helpless and limited. And so someone else has to carry you around and give you all your food and everything. But there's neurological programs inbuilt that, encourage you to start moving and so this is what we've talked about through play so or mimicry and play is you see you see people moving around in your environment that intrinsic yeah you you see something that you want to play with and so you you try and figure out what that is or you know there's just those inbuilt mechanisms of babies learning to roll so first of all babies can only lie down on the ground flat Mm -hmm. on the ground on their back and then they learn to roll over onto their tummy and then they learn to come up onto all fours and then they learn to crawl on all fours and then so on and so forth. And so there's these developmental patterns that all occur on the ground because where else are they going to occur? Yeah, of course. <laughs> so mobility really starts on the ground. Your functional capability starts on the ground and that happens through those natural developmental patterns. Mm. And those patterns really shape how well we're able to do all the other patterns that we learn throughout life. And so... You know, you hear examples of people who don't actually crawl. They, they never go through a, a proper crawling phase when they are d- um, developing for some reason. Mm. And they end up with shoulder stability issues because the, cr- the nature of crawling... Strengthens the, the, the shoulders, of course. Yeah, the reaction of your hand, the ground reaction through your hand and um, the closed, you know, what's called closed chain stability of the shoulder is shaped by 
that interaction with the ground. Mm. And there was a, a big thing where, you know, those sort of bouncer, I can't remember yeah, what they're called, yeah. but where like you strap it. sit in them and they bounce around. Yeah. yeah. And so there was all these issues with hip development in those kids that spend a yeah, lot wow. of time in those bouncers because... Which makes sense. Yeah. They're, they're not, not using the muscles and the... They're not getting that interaction with the ground, the actual interaction that they that their genes and their bodies expect. And so the way we move, especially as kids, because we're so plastic, we're so moldable, the way we move in those early phases and throughout the rest of our life really shapes, literally shapes our body and, and how strong our muscles are and how dense our bones are and how, uh, how free our joints are to move. And so you could say that it's our relationship to the ground then in those early stages that's, that's I guess, key to, to building all of that. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And so the more we, the more we do throughout that ground movement, the generally the better we can be throughout all the other patterns and pretty much almost everything we do is ground based except for climbing and swimming. Basically it's, it's interesting. I mean, there seems to be such a rush to get kids standing at a young age and, and, and walking and, you know, there's this, there's this expectation that we, you know, by a certain age they need to be standing and they need to be walking. And let's help them. Let's pick them yeah, up. Yeah, come and on. Walk we've them got to get them going. But I guess what you're saying is, don't rush that phase because it's so crucial. Yeah, just let them figure it out. Yeah, mm. and if if they're struggling, that's what that's what they're, they're trial learning. and error. They're struggling. They're learning. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and we talked about that in a previous podcast, making errors and and struggling and going through that discomfort of learning something is actually what facilitates neuroplasticity or, or adaptability in the brain and that actually makes you learn better and and helps um sort of cement the things that you learn into your brain and and you know quote unquote muscle memory which isn't actually muscle memory but it allows you to problem solve on your own and so the more you help someone uh, say when they're developing on the ground or later in life the more you use technology to prop yourself up the less your body has to do and then the less your body is capable of doing. So that natural developmental ground movement is really, really important as kids. But the only reason we lose those abilities, like if you watch a baby moving around on the ground or like a toddler, Mm. you see their hips move into these funky positions, you know, Funky, funky positions yeah 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 <laughs> you see them move around and the, the hips are rotating they, they pop up into a squat and they go back down and it's all just sort of very fluid well it's fluid i mean they're, they're a bit yeah. unco but yeah it's very free and most people look at that and they're like wow like amazing look how free that how but, incredible <laughs> but the only reason we lose that ability is because we stop doing it by because we sit in chairs mm. and we don't interact with the ground in that way, going through life as a, as a cultural and environmental, as a factor of the culture and the environment. Yeah. Because in as a natural they environment... they can walk and sit, they're expected to walk and sit. Yeah. 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 It's like, oh, you don't need to crawl anymore. You don't need to be down in that squat. It's just sit in the chair, sit on the toilet, sit on the lounge, sit, you know, sit in the car. And otherwise, you can walk. Yeah, sit in your school chair all day and try to learn and sit still. <laughs> Which, anyway, it's a whole, that's a whole, <laughs> whole thing <laughs> a in itself. But, yeah, really the only... Like, in a natural environment, you'd still be interacting... Throughout your whole life, you'd still be interacting with the ground in different ways. And, and it might look a little bit different. Like, maybe you're um, crawling as a way to uh, stalk prey or mm. you're, um, you know, you're squatting down and to pick making berries a fire or, or yeah. picking berries or, yeah. Or all of these different things. But at least you would always... You, you're only you're either squatting to rest or you're sitting on the ground to rest. You're not sitting in a chair, or uh, you're sleeping on the ground. Yeah, exactly. You're sleeping on the ground, and and so and therefore, if you're sleeping on the ground and constantly being on the ground, then you're constantly getting up and down off the ground, and so you never lose this ability to to interact with the ground in an intelligent and an efficient way. Because it's not just being on the ground, but it's that transition between being on the ground and and standing exactly. That, we lose touch with as well. It really matters. And we've mentioned that in a podcast before that, that, that sit and rise test, which is a, basically a measure of how well can you sit 
and sit, stand up and sit down onto the ground without your hands. And it's found to be a very, very excellent predictor of all cause mortality. So the worse you do at this test, and they have all these different points um, of, you know, how they measure how well you do it. it. It's basically how much support do you need with your hands and how much do you lose balance and everything. But the worse you do at that test, the more likely you are to die from anything. <laughs> so yes, falls. Falls are a huge killer in the elderly um, and obviously heart attacks and uh, strokes and all of these chronic lifestyle diseases that end in these sort of in, in mortality and dying, uh, you're at much greater risk of dying the worse you do at that test. And again, it's not some voodoo test where if you get really good at sitting and rising off the ground, <laughs> yeah. then... Hacked. No, yeah, no, I'm no not heart attacks, die. no nothing. Yeah, <laughs> you're sorted. But it's a really good indicator of how much you've moved in your life. And and I, th- I think that... Because so many people do die as a result of falls mm. when, they're, when they're older. I think... Just that, that inter- could be one of the. Dri- that yeah. could be a huge, a huge Driving part of it, and yeah. and it, it, like we said, it's, it's an indicator of how much movement you've done, which obviously movement and, and um, physical activity is a, is a huge is hugely protective of all of those lifestyle diseases. But it's interesting though cultures that have um, a more like a more ground based culture with that sleep on the ground and things like that, like in Japan, mm. they've got significantly lower rates of falls in the elderly. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Like, uh, again, it makes sense. Yeah. It's, because they're just constantly getting up and down off the ground. And so if you're constantly doing that, then you maintain that level of strength and balance that's needed to interact with the and mobility that's mm. needed to interact with the ground. And um, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Basically, to summarize that, you've got your local sort of joint-by-joint mobility and then you've got your more global how well do you move in general throughout your environment and sitting and moving on the ground is really an amazing way to improve both aspects of of that local and global mobility because when when you look locally, you'd be able to see it in the video. Mac and I have been sitting on the ground and we're in different positions. We're not sitting in 90 90 degrees hip flexion, which is how you sit in a chair. Mm. We're in hip rotation. We're in ankle plantar, like different um, levels of ankle plantar flexion and dorsiflexion. And we're encouraged to move frequently because one position gets uncomfortable after a while and then we change that up to a different position and then that gets uncomfortable after a while. And so we're getting all this variability of movement and Not- I, I, I think it's um it's important to note as well, the more you do sit on the ground, well, yes, it does get uncomfortable and, and that's what forces you to move. I think it also becomes a mindset that while you're on the ground it's nice to move into different positions yes. to stretch different parts of the body. Yeah. Not, not just discomfort, but more I suppose- comfort, I suppose. Or the, you know, yeah, the, the benefits of constantly moving into those positions. That's a good point, yeah. And we're, we're going to chat about comfort as a, as a barrier mm. for people as well, but... It's it is that you, you it's that mindset of I like changing positions yeah. frequently because not that I, I don't like sitting on the body. ground. It's that yeah I like yes mixing it up. Yeah yeah exactly, and sure it does help to have you know something like these mats that we've got placed down because it makes the ground quite inviting and a bit less harsh on the body. And you know there's nothing wrong with adding a bit of a little bit of extra comfort, but it's finding flush. it's yeah. it's finding that balance. So that you get all, you get most of the benefits of being on the ground while also facilitating a, a more enjoyable experience. I think for sure, and it is it's bloody enjoyable sitting down here and ha- having a chat <laughs> while we sit on the ground, and you know you just you f- your body feels so much better after a, an hour of chatting on the ground than it would with an hour of chatting in the chair. Mm. So, and we already sit enough in our society sits enough, um, in, you know, when you drive or when you have dinner or, you know, whatever, it's just very, very normalized to sit in a chair all the time. And actually I quite like what Felix said. There's a, there's a good podcast that Felix and Nick, um, who's, which is Nick, obviously the Canadian founder of TFC and Felix who runs the TFC in Germany, mm. they had a podcast on ground living and Felix talked about how <clears throat> sitting in a chair is essentially an incomplete movement. Your body thinks yeah, it's yeah. going down into a squat or it's going onto the ground, but then it stops at 90 degrees and that would never happen in nature. And it, it, he talks about how 
it must it, be confusing for yeah. the body to think I'm stuck in this position. Why haven't I? Does not compute. <laughs> it's like, what is, what's going on here? And, and also we've talked about how chairs just facilitate you to be in one position for longer. So especially the more comfortable the chair, then the less likely you are to want to move from that position. And so it just allows you to be so sedentary and, but takes away the sig- those signals that encourage you to move. And so, you know, that in itself is probably a bigger problem than the actual chair itself or the actual position. But I, yeah. I thought it was an interesting, um, yeah, it's a really an interesting, interesting perspective. Way of, way of looking at it for sure. That's, that's pretty much the why behind the mobility. It's, it's, it's a free sitting on the ground and, and living on the ground is basically a free way to increase your whole lower body mobility and and moving on the ground is is amazing for upper body mobility as well and or full just full body mobility so rolling and crawling you get all of these all this movement through your spine and through your um, wrists and fingers and the strength and stability through your elbows and your shoulders and all of these ground movements and sitting on the ground just are amazing for joint by joint mobility and your global movement capacity and, and they're not that hard. Nah, nah. And they can be really fun mm. and enjoyable. And the, I guess what I really want to stress is that in physio and, and you know, any, any health or fitness professional can relate to this is people come in and they've got, you know, XYZ pain or condition or they've got, you know, just stiff hips or tired ankles, which is stop, you know, limiting them in their squat or whatever, you name it. And so you go, all right, well, we should mobilize that area. We should give them some kind of exercise or, you know, we, we like, we can call them exercise supplements. We give them some kind of supplement to help improve their hip mobility, for instance. And focus on an easy one. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's do a hip extension mobilization for five minutes per side before we get stuck in. And then they, that person then does that. Oh, my hips feel really open. And then they go and sit for eight hours. It's, it just doesn't make any sense because you're taking one step forward and two steps back. And then that person is mobile. They could mobilize their hips every day and then just get nowhere because it's just stiffing them up, loosening them up. But, you, but you're spending eight hours stiffening and you're spending five minutes loosening. So what's going to win? Yeah, of course. <laughs> and so this is something that people really, really need to understand, especially if you're someone who struggles with your flexibility, is that it's not enough to spend... Even spending half an hour mobilizing is not enough if you're then stiffening up for the rest of the 16 hours of your day. And so just really taking a hard look at how much you're actually sitting in a chair or how much you're stationary versus how much you're moving. And this comes back to the movement practice episode and, and, and taking yeah. that, that look at your entire movement practice throughout the day and, and, and where... Uh, movement nutrition, Movement maybe. nutrition, sorry. Yeah. yeah, 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 movement nutrition, yeah. Yeah, and um, yeah, exactly. It's taking a, a big global bro- um, bird's mm. eye view of what your, what your movement diet is mm. really like mm. and figuring out how you can improve that diet because you could take all the supplements in the world, but if you're eating crap or you're not eating anything, <laughs> yeah, know, it'd be, it's fine to take a vitamin C or a vitamin D or you know, a fish oil supplement, but if you're not eating any food, it's not going to help you much. Yeah. You got to eat food as well. And then the supplements are a bonus. And so, yeah, it's just, it's having that perspective and, um, and really understanding that there's not that much point mobilizing areas if you're then not moving them frequently throughout the day. Exactly. Another interesting why I suppose behind ground, like being on the ground or ground living is this concept of, of grounding or earthing. Mm. And so I'll just preface to say that <clears throat> we feel like we need to do a little more research and, and probably chat to, a, 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 I guess, an expert on this um, to really fully understand it and to yeah. understand what the research is behind it. But We've only really started, you know, only recently looking into it, I, I guess, and yeah, and we watched a we watched a movie on it, and um, and got done a bit of research, and got the book called Earthing, and we've got it right there. Actually, it's under Max microphone. Um, so yeah, I think it's probably it could be a whole podcast episode in itself, but we just want to touch on it now because I mean, it is it does actually make a lot of sense uh, on the surface of it, and I know that there's going to be there needs to be more research into it to really fully understand how it affects the human body. But mm. the premise is that. Basically, the earth has a, a negative electrical charge. Like everything in this world is essentially like 
electrical or like all life is electrical. Mm. And so the, the earth has this negative electrical charge and the atmosphere has a positive electrical charge. Mm. And when you think about electrical appliances, so anyone who's an electrician or knows anything about electricity, it all has to be grounded. It, n- it needs to be grounded because, um, you need to be able to discharge electrical excess electric electricity. Positive. Yeah. Okay. And otherwise it risks, you know, exploding or having fires and things like that. And so we are electrical beings and we're, you know, we're electromagnetic beings. We do have charge and historically throughout all our evolution and before us, we've always been in contact, electrical condu- like conductivity with the earth and so only recently, probably since about the 1960s, when rubber, rubber sold, synthetic rubber sold shoes Carpet. exploded in the scene mm. and people started spending more time indoors, less time in nature, TV, you know, came out and, you know, this whole sort of... It was a complete shift from yeah. being out, outdoors to indoors and out of shoes into shoes. Yeah, essentially. And it's kind of unprecedented for us to not be in constant contact with the earth and therefore to be literally grounded electrically. And so the theory is that this is having a negative impact on our health. Yeah. The idea being that inflammation is a result of, well, inflammation is a very helpful process in the body. It facilitates healing. And so it is necessary. But what we know is that inflammation needs to be present for a time and then it needs to be resolved otherwise if it stays around in the body for too long or if it's it's chronically persistently there then it does end up with health effects and it's it's negative health effects and it's been linked to pretty much every chronic lifestyle disease out there and so we know that you know poor like junk food or processed foods and sedentarism and lack of sleep and um stress like um you know, chronic mental stress or trauma mm. increase inflammation throughout the body. <clears throat> and so all of these factors, all of these, I suppose, mismatches between our environment and our, what our genes expect promote that chronic cycle of inflammation that doesn't get resolved. And obviously that increases the likelihood of pain and disease in the long run. And, and the idea with grounding is that it releases this inflammation? Yeah, so it's it's the negative charge or the free electrons from the earth help to neutralize the positively charged free radicals in the body that, that facilitate the inflammation. And, you know, it's kind of a cool analogy, actually. Like if you can't, if you can't ground an electrical appliance, it's at risk of blowing up or, or, you know, catching fire. We're not going to explode. (laughs) We're not going to explode, but inflammation is the body is inflamed <laughs> as yeah. in it's hot and you know there's a, a build it's, up a, of... it's an interesting parallel yeah and again there, there is some research that shows that grounding or earthing can help resolve inflammation i think they did it on cyclists and i, I know that there's there probably needs to be more research to fully understand how earthing affects the human body but really, you don't need that much research yeah. to just go outside, take your shoes off and feel it, walk barefoot in the grass and see how you feel. Yeah. You know, it might not cure your, your uh, cancer or it might not, you know, cure your chronic back pain, but I guarantee you're probably going to, well, I can't, I'm not going to guarantee, but <laughs> yeah, I would be willing to bet you're going to feel better after walking barefoot in the grass and whether that's because you're grounded or whether that's because of all these other factors that have been very well, you know, proven in research to be beneficial for the body to be out in nature, um, sunlight, fresh air, movement, all of these things, or whether it's a combination of all, which is my bet, the the combination of those things and grounding, uh, it just feels good. And you don't really need research to say, I should go out and do that. And I guess to tie it back to to ground living, it's all well and good to spend your entire life on the ground indoors, but the real benefits can be outdoors as well. Yeah, yeah, you can get so much so much benefit of interacting with the ground outdoors, and yeah, things like gardening or something like that, where you're actually literally interacting with the ground and with the earth and with the soil 
is just such a such an amazing thing to do and will make you feel better in some way and yeah we need like doing it indoors yeah like we said is great from uh, that sort of i guess more purely physical mobility domain Mm. but getting out in nature it's what we need as humans and there's so many examples of um animals and you know that zoo zoo predicament where an animal will be out of its natural context in an in an unnatural habitat like a zoo and it'll start to develop physical and and mental issues or pets that yeah you know mimic their their owners in terms of yeah the, the yeah diseases and the lifestyle diseases they get domesticated pet domesticated animals end up with these diseases and, and similarly humans are domesticated and essentially living in a zoo of our own creation and we end up with all of these disease and it's not a problem with the body it's more a problem with the environment that's causing a problem with the body and so it's an interesting rabbit hole mm. and I, I will i would like to delve a lot more into that earthing concept and it'd be great yeah if anyone knows an expert mm. on earthing here in oz that that would be keen to link up with us yeah we'd love to love to dive deeper into it with them absolutely so let's chat about some barriers to getting onto the ground because society is just so used to not being on the ground, which again, in terms of our evolutionary history, is very unusual and has been for a very short amount of time. But one of the biggest barriers for people getting on the ground is is comfort. Because, I mean, we're all addicted to comfort in some sense, <clears throat> being comfortable. We love our society, people in society, especially modern society, just love, you know, soft couches and warm beds and hot food and all of these creature comforts that, you know, evolutionarily makes sense that that feels good and that we really like it because... If we can get it, why wouldn't we get it? Yeah. Comfort in a natural environment or, you know, evolutionarily speaking, is safety, really. So if you've got shelter and, you know, warmth, say, from a fire and, and you've built yourself a shelter and you've got your fire, then you're protected from the elements and you're somewhat protected from animals and it's this element of safety that the brain really likes and so it gives you this feeling that's that that really nice feeling of comfort that is just so good it's like rolling over in bed on a on a cold <laughs> winter's rainy morning <laughs> it's so good it's, it's it's hard to beat that feeling mm. and there's a there's a very good evolutionary reason why because your your brain wants to maintain that that safety and that stability and that, yeah, that goes for, you know, most elements of, of comfort and, and pleasure, I suppose, like sugary foods or, you know, really, really high c- calorie foods, things like that. The brain just lights up because it goes, yes, this is what I need to survive. And our genes or that those primal instincts or those, those um, yeah, those, those uh, drives for comfort have been developed over millions of years because that's what we kind of need to seek out but it's very scarce in a natural environment it's quite a harsh generally quite a harsh natural environment we figured out how to do it very well obviously but when you found a high calorie food in nature or you found you were able to make fire you'd do it a lot because you really needed it to survive whereas these days we don't need all of those creature comforts to survive they're just comfortable yeah (laughs) and comfort is kind of like the silent killer like the like we've talked about yeah a great you know with couches yeah, the biggest threat comfortable with couches they're so comfortable that they stop you from you know they can really encourage you not to move and then that over time kills you literally kills you and so discomfort you know evolutionarily really indicates potential danger so cold or if something's too cold or too hot or sharp or whatever, then it's potentially dangerous and your body goes, I don't like that. So it gives you that little hit of discomfort. But discomfort also can equal growth. So learning a new skill or moving vigorously or exposing yourself to cold or heat, all these things are uncomfortable, but they can be really, really helpful for promoting growth or you know, in improving resilience in the body and adaptability. At the other end of the spectrum then, I mean, at, at the other end of 
the scale when you when you look at children who have only known but to crawl and then you see them put into a child seat in the car and they're kicking and screaming and, and throwing their legs out. They may be unhappy for another reason, but mm. there's this pushback as though it is discomfort that they're feeling about being put and forced into a chair. So I, I guess at the other end of the spectrum... That's actually really interesting, yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, you, you look at kids put in you know, high chairs or restrained into car seats and, and they look uncomfortable. There's yeah. discomfort. Wow, that's a good point. Yeah, kids just don't want to sit. Hey? Mm, yeah, <laughs> and there's like sit down and eat. You know, you know whatever. But yeah. you, yeah, they usually they should technically be on the ground eating that stuff or or whatever. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a really good point. And yes, obviously, too much heat or something that's too sharp or something that's too cold or whatever can literally be dangerous. And so you you need to have the right dosage but in the in the right dosage it, there's it's called a hormetic stressor so which is a stress that's actually good for your body and and allows it to adapt favorably and so that's a it's a dose response mechanism really where if you have you know if you have not enough of those stresses then your body gets weak and you know rigid and and can't really adapt it isn't very resilient if you have too much then you get hurt which obviously you don't want Mm. Uh, or you die (laughs) if you have just enough then your body goes okay i can deal with that i understand that i'm gonna be experiencing this in the environment and this is how i improve my resilience to that stress in the future and then what happens in the future you get exposed to that same level of stress your body handles it perfectly or you get exposed to a little bit more and then your body adapts again and so this is the essence of you know, movement training or, you know, working out is, or progressive overload Mm. is start here. Wow. That hurts. Wow. My muscles are sore. Oh, that's easy now. Okay. Start, you know, add more boom, boom, boom. And then over, over time you get more and more resilient, you get stronger and stronger, you get more mobile, whatever it is that you're trying to do, you expose your body to that challenge. And that's that hormetic, hormetic stressor that is actually really favorable, really good for your body. Mm, yeah right so discomfort can equal growth and so we need to find that balance between yeah i mean it's you don't have to again you don't have to go out and you know be a caveman and get really uncomfortable but it's fine to have some comforts but it's finding what comforts are serving you and what comforts are not serving you and what level of discomfort can you expose your body to and just Finding, yeah, whether it's finding comfort or finding meaning and enjoyment in the discomfort, like you said, we're sitting on the ground. In some ways, it's, yeah, quote unquote, uncomfortable, but we like it because we know it's good for our body and we like the variability. And so we found meaning in that discomfort and... Find comfort in the discomfort. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and just being comfortable in your own body. Like we, like we talked about, the more you assist the body with various things so the more say the more a parent assists a child to move or the more we assist a body to move through driving or chucking someone in a wheelchair the less the body has to do and and the less comfortable that body becomes to exist within it's you know, it's kind of weird to think about but yeah if someone just sits all the time then their body becomes stiff and weak and painful and the body living in that body itself is not comfortable. Mm, mm. Whereas the only way they can be comfortable is by then sitting in the chair. (laughs) Having the support. Whereas if you get comfortable in your own body, then you don't need all this extra technology like chairs and couches and, and everything in order to be comfortable. You just, your body is just comfortable, Mm. which is a really, it's quite profound. Absolutely. Absolutely. So another barrier that people have is hygiene, I think. Um, Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's this weird view of the ground or especially like dirt and things like that as literally like dirty, like in a bad way. Mm. There's this whole like, oh, that's dirty, that's unhygienic or that's got bacteria in it. And, And obviously it comes from this germ theory where, you know, oh yeah, germs spread disease and and everything but what what we're now seeing is this new hygiene hypothesis where the explosion of all these autoimmune conditions and allergies and just weak immune systems is a lack of exposure is a lack of exposure to 
those bacteria in our environment that we should be exposed to. And that's that, that's the hormetic stress for the immune system is exposure to that bacteria. The immune system goes, okay, cool. I've had exposure to that. I know how to deal with it. And now I'm stronger because I've you know developed these antibodies and all of these deep things that go on in the immune system. And what we're actually doing to our immune system by keeping everything so hygienic is disrupting it and, and weakening it and then therefore making it less able to deal with um, less adaptable and less resilient, so less able to deal with like bigger problems in the future. And I mean, we keep harking back to the juxtaposition between adults and kids, but kids are let to run roam free on the ground and you know crawl about, get their hands dirty and, and put their hands in their mouth, and you know it. It's a bit of a shock to us as, as adults when we see that happen, but it's just accepted that that's what kids do, um, and it should just be accepted. Not that we have to go stick our hands in the mud and chuck them in our mouth, but to crawl around and, and be exposed yeah. to those environments shouldn't be strange. Yeah, it shouldn't be. And there's a reason. There's, there's a, probably a good biological reason why kids have that hand-to-mouth reflex where they're just constantly putting stuff in their mouth. Their, their immune system is tasting all <laughs> of these things in all of these different ways. And, and yeah, you really, you really cripple someone's immune system if you don't allow them, them that, that exposure. Yeah. And... Yes, certain at certain points you do need to maintain hygiene. You know, if you're doing surgery or you know, like, there's of course there's going to be contexts where you need to have things really clean. But just understanding that exposure to especially natural environments is actually very good for the immune system. And I guess it's not just the immune system, but the belief system. Then that you know, if you develop that that mindset in a kid when they're young that they shouldn't be doing that, then they'll end up as an adult that wouldn't yeah. even consider doing that and and the barriers get built up more and more and more. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then you... Um, I think there's, there's that really a condition of people who... Um, I can't... There's a, I mean, germaf- germaphobia. germaphobia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just very obsessive, compulsive need to for everything to be super clean. And <laughs> interestingly, the more everything is super clean, the weaker your immune system gets and then the more everything has to be super clean in order for you to not get sick. And I mean, I won't call her out, but a girl I was dating briefly wore uh, slippers inside and, and shoes inside the entire, entire time she was inside as a hygiene issue. It was, it oh, it was, was hygiene? It was hygiene. It, it, it was the dirtiness of the floor and mm. didn't want her feet to get dirty. Yeah. And for someone who <laughs> has dirty feet from time to time, um, that was a, a, a foreign and bizarre concept to me. But obviously that's been built up over years and years mm. and years of you know, this belief system that you can't be dirty and you can't have contact with the ground and Mm-mm. this fear. Yeah, I think there are actually a lot of people who wear shoes indoors as, so as many. habitually. And yeah, it's this interesting separation that, <clears throat> I mean, this comes back to the grounding thing, but yeah, of course. that the shoe is a very interesting representation of our separation from nature. We, we've, we're constantly trying to shelter ourselves and distance ourselves from nature because we think it's dangerous or dirty or or whatever but actually it's that's what we need the more (laughs) we do that then the the sicker we get and so being uh, the other thing is indoors like people don't necessarily like to be on the ground indoors and if that's because it's dirty on the ground have a bit more pride in your space and vacuum more regularly and you know <laughs> yeah. do whatever you need to do to to clean yourself up yeah. the animal. <laughs> <laughs> no but just just yeah. find, find ways to make your space more inviting and so and these mats are like a perfect example of something that's easy to keep clean yeah. you're not having to be on the carpet or on the tiles you can yeah. wipe them down They're yeah Easy, easy to vacuum. They build up. They build up stuff really quick. You look at it. Like I'm just looking at it now, <laughs> and they Don't build it up. Like closely. I literally vacuumed this morning, I think, and it, and it builds up a bit of stuff, and then you just vacuum it again, and it, you just find ways to keep your space, you know, relatively yeah, clean. Doesn't have to be perfectly sterilized, but you know, make and it you wouldn't in, want in, it to be either. No, and that comes no. back to the point we're trying to make. Is yeah, that it, you know, just keep it inviting, and you know and nice to look at and so and then you'll want to spend more time at it yeah but it, if if getting close to the ground if getting closer to the ground makes you go whoa my floor is dirty <laughs> spend more time cleaning your floor <laughs> yeah 
on the ground. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Get, get on your hands get and down knees. and mop it with your, yeah with a cloth in your hand. <laughs> so I guess another barrier. This is probably I guess probably one of the biggest ones is just that cultural environmental barrier of it's just so normalized to be constantly in a chair. And we've talked about this before, but you know, in the office and in schools and in transport on you know in buses and trains and cars and waiting rooms and and yeah it's just sit 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 oh you want a seat like oh here get comfy have a seat (laughs) and it's just culturally that is the norm and that's a really hard one to escape because yeah people look at you funny i mean it is changing now which is really great like we were talking about how standing desks are becoming more normalized in offices and and i know some schools are working on on building more flexible seating arrangements and things like that I where have, kids yeah. can sit on the ground. And I have a friend that's a school teacher and she teaches, I think, grade ones and twos. And they have uh, little lap desks, uh, like cushion lap desks, so that kids can sit on the floor. And, and that's promoted, which is great. I was really relieved to hear that there's that sort of impact being made and, mm. and those baby steps being taken. I mean, it's, you know, it, it's, there's still a long way to go because... It's yeah. a start. It's a start. It's a start. Yeah. And yeah, there is a lot of that cultural stuff to fight against. And I think probably the older people get and the less mobile they get, the less likely they're going to want to take up that opportunity to stand or sit on the ground. And they go, oh, like I'm too old for that. And some people are just going to be impossible to reach. And, and I guess that's, that's fine in a sense. But if you're open to it, then there are opportunities popping up to... It's just it's just changing your environment. And I think it's a Western culture thing as well. I mean, like you said with Japan and you look across a lot of Asian cultures and True. You know, there, are, there are a lot of old people who are able to still be in a deep squad and, and, yeah. and be close and low to the ground. And in their culture, it's just not strange. Yeah. But... Whereas if you pop a pop a deep squat in public in in Australia or America, people go, oh, "What's he doing? Like, oh, that <laughs> yeah. looks weird." <laughs> and it's like, "Oh, it's just a deep squat. That's just that's you just should a be able to do standard resting position." Um, so yeah, it's it's that cultural environmental thing that yeah, it, it's definitely changing now, but it needs to be adopted a lot more, and it needs to be really it just needs to be normalised more. Yeah, yeah. Essentially, which is which is essentially the strategies that we're about to chat through some strategies. And so just normalize even if the culture itself isn't quite there in your own mind and, you know, hopefully with your own within your own friendship circle, just normalize spending as much time as possible on the ground. Just make it known that that is that's just what you do. (laughs) You've got spaces in your house to to sit on the ground and, you know, wherever you can, you're on the ground. When you're filming your podcast. <laughs> yeah. When you're having food. Like, it seems strange, but it's like, yeah, Mac, Mac and I literally sit on the ground to eat a, fa- a fair bit of the time. Mm. And, you know, you don't, you don't have to... It's a rarity that we go eat to at a, a rest, table. Yeah. yeah. Like, what, at a... Yeah, sit to, sit to at eat a at table. a table. Yeah, yeah. We've got these little ground tables that that Nick made up. That are fantastic. We're on the path of making these in Australia They're now coming. as well. Yeah, which is exciting. Very, very exciting. And so they, they hopefully shouldn't be too far away. But yeah, just normalizing that in your own mind and in your in your circle, and then designing your environment to facilitate that. So yeah having mats like we've talked about having these little mini tables is great um we've we've got ourselves a squatty potty as well which is which <laughs> <That> turns heads <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. Like, what's that thing in your bathroom um it's basically until they ch- give it a try and then uh, <laughs> oh, then they know it's not hard to convert <laughs> short short answer is the squat is the natural defecation position and it <laughs> helps, it, un- it unkinks your uh, anorectal angle and it allows the I uh, said enough fecal said. matter, <laughs> it allows things to come out easier and it mimics what position we would get on the ground, but it just helps us do that in the toilet. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, having that kind of thing in your environment and then setting up social your social life and social lifestyle and activities to facilitate that ground movement as well. So, you know, going for picnics, like purposely, you know, going out for a picnic or if you, you know, you're with your family or your friends, let's have a picnic dinner tonight, which I could blanket down. We'll bring it all onto the ground. And yeah, doing those kinds of activities just to facilitate that. And to normalize it further, (coughs) Mm. you know, 
Yeah. Spread the word. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, help help people go because people go, oh, this is uncomfortable, and then. Just tell them to listen to this podcast <laughs> and we'll explain to them why comfort isn't, you know, the be all and end all of <laughs> happiness. Um, but, you know, going on camping trips where you do sort of, you're kind of forced to just spend more time Yeah, leave, on leave the, the camping chair at home. Yeah. You know, when you go away for a weekend. Yeah, and get the camping bed out and, and get well, up. if you go down. to the beach, don't take one of those little seats that they pop out on the yeah. beach. You know, just really simple things that next time you go to take a chair somewhere or... To sit in a chair somewhere, ask yourself, do I have to? Yeah, do I have to? Is there another option? Can I be on the ground or, or whatever? And just, yeah, going going to some activities as well, like, or, or um, yeah, purposely engaging in activities that are ground-based. So my, my favorite one of those would be Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an amazing way to build some self-defense capabilities, but just you really learn how to move on the ground. So for those of you who don't know, Jiu-Jitsu is essentially a, a grappling martial arts, so a wrestling on the ground for the most part. And it's very fun. It's play-based and um, very challenging, but just such a cool way to build your ability to interact with the ground. And other things like, like we've, we always talk about MoveNat, um, which is a natural movement system that they do a lot of ground movement and, um, you know, things like animal flow or yoga or all of those things relate to movement on the ground the lower you can get the better yeah. feldenkrais is another good one mm. so just exploring anything that kind of resonates with you that is an activity i i actually really like just playing with a dog like if there's a dog around get on the ground and move around Wrestle and play around with, with it, it. Yeah. yeah and just see how you go <laughs> the dogs are great players everyone should play with a dog <laughs> if they can <laughs> we need a podcast on playing with dogs <laughs> yes I would, I would gladly make that um so yeah, that that pretty much wraps it up. It's be comfortable in the discomfort and that actually helps build mobility and you know, getting out into nature and designing these activities and your environment around more ground living. It it just is so so beneficial and you you can't really fully understand the benefits until you experience it. And it takes time to get used to it. Yes, but it just is amazing. And it does, it feels like, I know we sort of said it with the standing desks, but it does feel like it's one of these things that if if enough people understand it, then there can be a cultural shift where mm. it is normalized more. Mm. Yeah. Um, and it's free. It is free. And it's good for your health. Yeah. So why not? Double down on all those things that are free and good for your health. Get barefoot in the grass. <laughs> cut, you know, cut the table, cut the legs off your tables or... or do something. It's mostly about, it's like minimizing. It's just getting rid of the stuff that doesn't help and you know, getting the stuff that does help. But um, yeah, just get on the ground. Get on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks very much for listening in and we'll keep, uh, we'll keep everyone posted on those ground tables that we mentioned. Um, yeah, we can't wait to get them. Yeah. We're really sorted. Really and- stoked for those. And otherwise, have a great day. Catch you in the next episode. 